Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. They got saved in this class of Romans, one class, one day, one hour. They trusted Christ. They led this guy to the Lord. The one who got saved in the class says, I'm leaving you, I'm leaving the state, and I'm going to this Bible college because I want to learn the Bible. They got saved. That long-haired person that came to faith in Christ then decided, you know what? If you're going there, I want to go there too. They both went to that school. They became man and wife, and they're in full-time ministry today. Now, again, it was because of something that's written. There's something very special when you can write these things down and you can see them, the feel of the pages. Sometimes you might save the documents a lot easier than if you just kind of file it in an email in your little computer somewhere. So let me encourage you to write something. I can only imagine if you have a son or a daughter that's off in military and they receive a letter from you. It's a heartfelt letter, whether it's typed or better yet written, if they can read your writing. And you pour your heart unto them, what you're praying about for them. What you see in their life that has blessed you. What you would like to see in their life that might add value to their life. How you're thanking God that you've been entrusted with that son or daughter. And they can have that letter. They can treasure it. They can fold it up. They can read it again and again and again and again. They can save it for their kids someday. There's something in a written fashion that makes it better. So let me encourage you to get into a letter writing campaign. Get the church director out. Look at the people you haven't seen in around in a while. Write them a note or in a letter. Tell them you're thinking about them. You miss them. You love them. You care for them. You're there for them. Whatever you want to do to add value to their life. Take your family directory out and begin to write them. When you send Christmas cards, put a personal note in there. Do something special that encourages them. That's the second way. The third thing that he did is he went to go visit them. And so maybe in your repertoire of connecting with people, you could look to them and go see them as often as you could go visit them. Nothing gets them more excited than when they see you and they can hear you and talk to you. I mentioned a couple of, I think last Sunday, that I went to our first family reunion. There were people we haven't seen, and frankly, one guy introduced himself to me, and I had no idea he was part of our family. I couldn't even recognize him as so long ago. And the hugging and the loving and the caring that there was just to be around them, to sit down and jibber-jabber and talk and look into their eyes and feel the experience of that moment. So go visit them. Here's another way you can do that. What you can do that I think might be helpful is put them underneath the sound of great Bible teaching. Now in Scripture, here's what Paul did. It said he ordained elders, spiritual leaders, over the people that he started a church with. So he started them together, but then he put people for accountability over them so that those people would be underneath accountability. So for you, what you might be doing is looking for a Bible-teaching church that teaches Scripture, teaches the gospel clearly, faith alone and Christ alone, exposits Scripture as a healthy church, and make sure that they're going to that church rather than just being involved in something that might not be quite as strong. And remember, it's because of accountability. He put spiritual people over them for accountability. The fifth thing that he did to follow them up is that he called other people to come around them. So maybe for you, you might send that person, your family member or friend, you might give them a book, you might give them a DVD, you might give them a CD. You might have other friends that live in the area and you contact them to go visit your family member. Maybe they'll do things together so there could be that bond of fellowship that goes on. So whatever it is, the Apostle Paul was all about relationships. 
Last week I was mentioning to you what's the frequency and what brings more people to the church. And I mentioned the radio ministry brings people. And then when Dennis and I are out speaking, people hear us and they want to hear about the church and they come. I left one out because I want this week to really be something for us to understand. It's not going to be the mechanisms of just speaking where you kind of speak once and you shake a hand or on the radio you never see those people till they drive on your parking lot. It's going to be the relationships that we have with one another, the people we work with, the people that live next door to us, our family members that go through a crisis or have a need. And building those relationships is what's going to help them to grow in Christ. And that's why Paul, that we'll learn next week, wanted to go be with them so that he could have that kind of a relationship. So that might help you a little bit. So let me answer the next question. That is, um, maybe why did Paul write this letter? Now, you could read a lot of commentaries, and they'll give you a lot of reasons why Paul wrote this. Some of them could be any more from that people would come to faith alone in Christ. I think that's accurate. Oh, he wanted people to glorify the Lord. I think that's accurate. But if I could be a little bit more specific, I'd like to submit three reasons why Paul wrote this. And maybe that would be a good question for you. Why would you want to write or connect to someone else? What would be your motive? Do you have a pure motive to add value? Well, here's one. There was a personal reason he wanted to meet with them. If you will, follow along in chapter 1 and look in verse 11. And if you have your pens ready, I want you to see this passion that Paul had of why he wrote this letter. Verse 11 says, For I long to see you so that I might impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be strengthened or established. I like that. I long to be with you so much that I could give you a particular spiritual gift. Now let me qualify that. He does not have any ability, nor do you and I, to give the gift of teaching to someone or to give the gift of helps to someone or give the gift of administration or the gift of mercy. So it's not that spiritual gift because all spiritual gifts are given by God to others according to God's purpose. The spiritual gift I might give is something that God has given to me. Maybe it's something that I've learned, some truth. Maybe it's some special action that I have. Now I'm going to take myself and I'm going to add value to that other person. So what he's saying is, I long to be with you. I've never been there before. Don't know many of your faces. But I long to be with you so that I could give you some spiritual gift. I want to do something to add value to your life. And also talks later on how that being together, though, we will encourage one another. Now, park on that for just a moment. When you write, do you write for the purpose of adding value to the other person? That would be like imparting some spiritual gift. Something that... You want to give to them. It costs you something, but it doesn't cost them anything. You want to give that to them. When you go be with someone, why are you with them? Are you with them for some measure to add some spiritual benefit to their life? And when you do, you'll find that you'll be encouraging one another. That's what he did here. Let's go a little bit further. Maybe the spiritual gift could be found in verse 14 and 15. When he says this in verse 14, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, So for my part, I am eager, that's that longing to, preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. So again, this personal reason was I want to add spiritual value to you. I want to present the gospel to you to make sure that you know Christ as Savior. I want to make sure that people are gospel-centered. So all of it was a spiritual idea that I want to be with you. So I hope that when you want to meet with others, it might be for a spiritual purpose to add value to their life, either probe them with the gospel or to find out if they're a Christian or to pray with them or to carry their burden for them or share the spiritual truth, something you can give to them to add value. Here's the second reason. It would be more instructional. Leave chapter 1. Let's go to the end here to chapter 15 again. It was instructional. He said, okay, I long to be with you. I'm eager to preach the gospel. 
But I also am passionate about leaving a truth with you. So look in chapter 15, and now verse 15. It says this. But I have written, meaning this letter, very boldly. I like it. It doesn't say I have written to you on some points. He doesn't say I've written boldly to you on some points. He says I've written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. Now what does that mean? He says, God has given me truth. God has graced me with this truth. God has graced me with an understanding of who God is and how to live our life for Christ. God's given this to me. And now I want to speak boldly to remind you. Now let's pause and talk about that. Some Sundays you're going to be here, you're going to scratch your head and you're going to say, Oh, Pastor, I know that already. I heard that already. Didn't you say that a month ago? I thought you already said that. I'm only doing what Paul did here and Peter did in other places. From time to time, we have to speak reminders. To remind one another. And here it says he spoke boldly on some of these points, which meant that he was very eager, very passionate, not just to be with them, but to make sure that that truth gets in them when he is with them, because he so much wanted them to have a relationship with God. So sometimes when I'm up here, I, I am, before I come up, I pray a great deal. In my mind, I'm thinking, can I come across with as much grace and tenderness as I possibly can? And then I get, quote, rocking and rolling with this right here. And I'm so passionate about this truth that you think I'm yelling at you. And I'm really not. I'm just so excited about this. And I want you to know the Lord. I want you to know the value of this book. I want you to live this book. I want you to do it today and for the rest of your life. That's that boldly that he is writing until he could get there and pin their ears back with his own words, maybe. I don't know. But so he did it instructionally. Now, there's a little odd, which would be the third reason, that's kind of tucked away right at the end of the book. And it's financial reason. Now, this is really weird, so I want to give this to you, especially if you're a missionary, all right? He was writing here because he also was looking for resources from them. Now, look up here on this invisible map over here. All right, we believe he's writing from the city of Corinth, okay? And so that means he's in Greece, but in his heart of hearts, he wants to go all the way to Spain. But on his way to Spain, he wants to stop in Rome because he wants to be with them. We've already studied that. He's got such a passion. He wants to be there. But really, he wants to go beyond Rome all the way to Spain. Why? The book says he wanted to preach the gospel where the gospel wasn't even named before. So he'll preach it anywhere, even if it was named there. But he wanted to go even beyond that. And Spain was like an untouched virgin area of people that needed Christ. And so now he says, I'm going to stop by and see you on my way to Spain. Now let's go back to the passage, chapter 15, and look at what he says here, especially if you're a missionary type. A little subtle way to ask for help. We might be able to see something that will be a blessing to us. Look in verse 22. It says, for this reason, for this reason, again, I'm writing and all of this, I have often been prevented from coming to you. I wanted to, but I couldn't get there. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, in other words, I'm all done here, and since I have yet for many years a longing to come to you, that means he wanted to get to Rome for a long time, and he couldn't get there. Now verse 24, so whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing. So I'm on my way to Spain, but in passing, I'm going to see you, and here's the phrase, you can underline it, and to be helped on my way there by you. That word helped is a very unusual word that's used in Scripture in the original language that talks about the fact that I want to have an escort to help me, but with the escort, I would like to have the resources. So as I travel, I don't want to travel alone. I want someone to go with me, but I also want to have the resources necessary to accomplish my task, which is the preaching of the gospel in Spain. So in a sense, he's subtly asking them for some support. 
So for some of you that uh, might have a missionary, the missionaries, they want to be here. They write us missionary letters. They also would like to have our prayers as Paul asks others to pray for him. And in this context, would you might want to go with me? How many of our missionaries have come to us to say, would you like to help us? Carol and I and others have been to China. We've been to Indonesia. We've been to Singapore. We've been to many of our mission fields of our missionaries because they wanted us to go there to be a part of what they're doing, to see what they're doing, to help them but also for extra funding as well. So that was his purpose for writing. It was relational, it was instructional, and it was also a little bit financial. Well, what's the message? Simply stated, the message of the book of Romans is the gospel. Faith alone in Christ alone, the gospel. The word gospel is mentioned ten times in the letter, four times in chapter one alone. It is the gospel. The key words are the following. The word God is used 153 times. The law is used seven times. Sin is used 48 times. Christ is used 65 times. Faith is used 40 times. And righteousness is used 34 times. And it's only used 92 times in Scripture. Now, what would be the uh, mountain peaks of this entire book? won't take much. Just jot these down. They're just one words, pretty much. These are the five mountain peaks. And if you look at these five mountain peaks, this is going to show you how we pass by this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one. It would be like the five islands of Hawaii, the five big islands of Hawaii. We go to this one first, then this one, then this one, this one, this one, and we've covered the Hawaiian Islands. If you go through these five truths, you're going to cover the book of Romans. The first one is the word sin. In chapter 1, verse 18, through verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 20, it's going to talk about sin, the horribleness of sin, the absolute necessity of the forgiveness of sin. That sin is so wicked and so bad and man is such an evil being that they need someone else to redeem them. Which brings us to number two, which would be salvation. And you're going to read all about salvation in chapter 3 through chapter 5, verse 21. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Romans 4, 5, but to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It goes to the very depths of the bad news of sin, to the beauty of salvation, which would be good news. The third word is sanctification. Sanctification, that's a word we don't use any longer, but that is we're set apart to be pure and holy for the glory of God. So sanctification, how do I live as a Christian in my Christian life? How does God live his life out through me through the person of Jesus Christ? Sanctification, the fourth term is the word sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God, and specifically in this context, it's the sovereignty of God and how God worked with Israel and how God is working with Gentiles and Israel coming together to form the church and how the church and Israel can come together. But then you step a little bit further away. It's about the sovereignty of God and the workings of humanity from beginning to end of man, that God is large and in charge, the sovereignty of God. And in parentheses, you want to put next to that security. It's a separate word, but it's with sovereignty, meaning that he's so sovereign that once you trust Christ, you can never lose your salvation because part of his sovereignty is to keep you secure. You can't ever get away from God. And the last word is the word service. Most books are divided with doctrine in the first part and deportment in the last part. Principles in the first part, practice in the last part. So the first part of this, chapters 1 through chapter 11, is all about doctrine. In chapter 12 through chapter 16, it's all about service. All right, This is how we serve the Lord. So we're going to get into all of that a little bit later on. So what might be our take-home point for today? Well, let me just give you a couple of them and then we'll end. As I went through this study just to get ready for this, I looked at the Apostle Paul and how much he hated Christianity, how much he hated those that followed Christianity, and how that God had to supernaturally step into Paul's life with Christ, given this blinding light 
and speaking to Paul, where Paul then was brought into blindness, came to faith in Christ, and then gave his life to the Lord and became an apostle. I look at that and I say, listen to this for all of you. As bad as Paul was holding the garments of the people that killed the first martyr, which would be Stephen, you may know someone in your family that is so vehemently opposed to Christ, to Christianity, to your belief system, that it's hard for you to go to a family reunion. It's hard for you to be around them because they are so anti-Christ. Let me tell you, when they are that way, they're being brought under conviction often, And don't ever put it past the Lord that those are the same kind of people that once they come to know Christ as a Savior, they are just as much on fire, but this time for the Lord as they were against the Lord later on. I'm praying for such nationally known people today that are on television and sports stars and those that want to mock God and mock Christ. For those people are the ones that, yes, if they die without Christ, they'll go to a Christless hell. But at the same time, if they come to know Christ as Savior, can you imagine what they do for the Lord? And there's a litany of people who live their life away from God, not wanting God, came to Christ, and now are living totally for the Lord. My second thought is this. I already spoke to it, so I'll just say it for a moment. The value, the power of a letter and how it can change a life. The power of relationships with others, speaking on terms of value to them rather than just surfacey stuff all the time. And then the last is simply this. As I look at the Apostle Paul, I take away from him three things. Number one, to look at him, it says that um, he was surrendered to the Lord. Totally surrendered as I look at his life. I want to be surrendered to the Lord. I look at him and I say, I, 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 he did not have any more of the Holy Spirit than I have. He had the same capacity to choose with his own will to do what he's going to do with his thought, talk, and walk, and he chose to surrender to Christ. I have the same. I can't do certain things that Paul had because I don't have his gifting. I'm not shaped like Paul. I'm shaped like Stan. But I want to make sure that I'm all that God wants me to be as Stan, and so I want to be fully surrendered to him. The second thing I look at Paul is that he was sent And he was sent out. And as he was sent, he accomplished what God wanted him to do. And I want to make sure that I am very much in the center of God's perfect will to the people group that God wants me to be sent and to do what God wants me to do. And the last, it says that he was an apostle. I think about the word apostle now, similar to the word sent, but when I look at apostle, that means he was handpicked by God, shaped by God to be an apostle, to go and plant churches and help those churches to thrive through the five follow-up methods that I taught. Now, that being the case... As an apostle, I have to look at how am I shaped. I don't mean shape. I mean my spiritual gift because that's part of who I am. What is my passion? Different people like different kinds of ministries. What is my passion that God has given to me? What would be my abilities? There are certain things that I can do. There are certain things that I can't do. I, can do. I can't do some things, but I can do some things. And then what's my personality style? And is that personality surrender to the Lord? What are my experiences? What did the Lord allow to happen to Stan and Carol, that helped shape us. That made us who we are. And now am I fully surrendered to the Lord and I'm now being sent and doing what God wants me to be. So I can take something away from this entire message today about Paul, about this letter. So as I get ready next week to open it up and I go to verse 1, I can now learn what I can do for his glory. And that's where we are today. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. I am passionate about this book because I love you folks so much and I want you to be so impacted by this book. My confidence is not in my ability to preach it or to teach it. My confidence is is that if I at least give it to you as accurately as I can, 
And I trust the Holy Spirit to work in your life, that the Lord will begin to do things in your life to give you a, a love for this book. And then from this book, the Spirit of God will change you and use you. And you'll experience His closeness. You'll have the sense of fulfillment in your life because you're living this book. But you'll also have a sense of fruit because you're living it out among other people and affecting them for Christ. And those of you who are our guests here today, just remember that word gospel. That gospel is good news. And what's the good news? Is the fact that no matter how bad we are, we still are eligible to go to heaven because it's not based on our good works. It's based upon Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. That is the gospel. He died and he rose again to pay our sin debt to open the door of heaven and an eternal relationship with Him. And we walk through that door by realizing truly how lost we are and hopeless we are and how that we cannot do any good deed to get to heaven. And then we realize that Jesus Christ is the Lord who died and rose again. We take Him at His word and we just believe Him. Yeah, we do believe in Him, but we just believe Him. We take Him at His word. And in the, in the course of doing that, we then fully experience His forgiveness. He seals us and sets us in his forever family. And I pray that you will place your faith in Christ right now. Maybe say something like this, Lord, I know I've done things wrong. I know there's no good deed I could ever do to go to heaven. And I know that it's not by any deed, it's only by trusting Christ. So that means it's not by faith in Christ plus something or minus something, taking something out of your life. It is just coming to him just as you are a sinner in need of the only Savior there is, Jesus Christ. And you come to him now. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to raise a hand. But you must trust Christ now. That's an act of will. Would you do that? This whole book is designed for people just like you, just like us. Would you trust Christ? If you're trusting him today, you've never done it before, you're accepting the payment he made for you on the cross by trusting in him, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. And when you do, you don't have to stand up, don't have to say anything. I'll just acknowledge that. I'll just say, thank you, I see that hand, that's it. And then I'll pray for you in an anonymous fashion. The Lord already knows who you are because you were already saved. The moment you trusted Christ, your hand went up afterwards. So it's just something you do outwardly to let me know. It has nothing to do with you getting saved, having your sins forgiven. But is there anyone in here today that's ready to put their faith in Christ and would like for me to pray for them? If there is, would you slip up your hand right now? Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Put your hand up right now today. If today is the day you're accepting Christ as your Savior, would you put it up? All right, Christians, how about you? Are you ready to dive into this book? Would you begin reading it? Maybe get yourself a good commentary. Just read two chapters a day, and maybe on the weekend, read four, and you'll have it all done in a week. It'd be great to do that. Maybe some of you, you're being led now to interface with others through a a letter-writing campaign of encouragement, passion. Maybe some of you are going to pray more for those who are outside the faith that seem to be so much fighting the faith. Continue to pray for them and never let up. Who knows what God can do in their life. And maybe some of us need to uh, see that we've been shaped for a ministry too. And what is our ministry? Is it involved in church and helping out different people groups in this church? Is it out in the community that needs some of us to get out of the four walls during the week sometime and build a relationship with those people? Maybe a Bible study in our home or maybe to take them out sometime and just begin to probe them with the gospel. Maybe it's to get involved with some of the 
folks on the island that have special needs. But whatever we're doing, we're, we realize we're shaped for this. It's not just live our life and we go to church on Sunday as it's like one little compartment in, the, in a vitamin packet. It, it's our whole life. It's centered around Christ. And are we living for Him? So just let the Holy Spirit and you work that out. And I'm sure that I'm confident that you will soon discover God's perfect plan for your life. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your dear, dear book that you've written to us, your love letter to us. I thank you that you preserved it, that it's sufficient. We don't need any more than your book. The Father, you've given it with your power. So if it was written, authored by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's within us, then we have the capability of understanding it, but also living it. So help us with that, Father. Help us, Father, to discover why we're here and what we're to do for you. Help us to be involved in communicating with others, maybe by praying for them, writing them, visiting them, putting them in touch with others, making sure they're involved in a good Bible-teaching church. But, Father, use us for thy glory. For it is in your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Oh, 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 oh,